great news, Buggy fans. Shoot the shit is back. That's right, season two, with all new interviews from folks across the wide world of this sport of buggy that we all love. So strap in your safety harnesses, look for those shoot flags as we turn into another great round of buggy stories as we shoot the shit. Very excited this week to be joined by two gentlemen, we'll say gentlemen, uh, Matt Adler and Chris Stengel. They served as the follow and lead truck cameraman on race day for several years. Uh, believe it or not, before CMU-TV was involved in recording all of race day, uh, the way that the official footage was collected was from the lead and follow trucks. Uh, so any dispute, anything like that was all based on this handheld camera footage recorded by these two gentlemen for many years. Uh, so they had two of the best seats in the house for a lot of race days. And uh, as a result, some of the best stories we've heard here on this podcast. So without further ado, let's jump in and meet Matt and Chris. Thanks, Will. My name is Matt, and I was um, a youngster for sweepstakes in 91. And then I was a safety chairperson for 92 and 93. And then I was a judge in 94. And then um, for a few years after that, uh, I was able to film, I guess, in the follow truck. I don't I don't exactly remember, but um, uh, yeah, it was super fun. And I am Chris Stengel. I uh, graduated in 93. I was sweepstakes uh, assistant henchman the last couple of years there. Stayed around the Pittsburgh area, never missed a carnival. And also did the filming in the lead truck, which is how I know Matt was in the follow truck because I love that lead truck. In fact, uh, I'm also one of the founding uh, members of the CMU Buggy Alumni Association. And uh, because of this gig, I came up with the idea to auction off seats in the lead truck on race day because uh, I've missed it so much. I imagine it's such an interesting vantage point and something almost besides the people winning the auction kind of lost, you know, recently and sort of just the different cameras and perspectives. But if y'all could take us back to, right, the focus of this episode is sort of on the filming and that experience. What was race day like kind of then? And what were your responsibilities and kind of what was the importance of kind of this lead and follow recording at that point? Well, uh, I'll jump in. Um, I think... The cameras were these herky-jerky handhelds, right? And uh, if I'm not mistaken, they had like these cassettes and they were pretty much like the only... VHS, yeah? Yeah. Well, no, they were, yeah, mini, they were like mini tapes, right? Yeah, yeah. And they were like the, the only official record of anything. I think even the people that were at the transitions did not have cameras as they later did. And the goal was to form some record that the judges could use if there was ever any kind of question about a bump or somebody holding a line or somebody uh, stepping in front of a buggy or a buggy swerving or, you know, to avoid something. And, and th that would always get reviewed after, uh, after the preliminaries and then before finals as well, if there were re-rolls to be given, et cetera. Pretty much the rule was always lean towards giving them the re-roll. And then if the tape shows that it wasn't uh, merited, then discount it. But at least they got the re-roll in. Didn't always turn out as artistic uh, as possible. Uh, and I would say that, you know, my, my thought in doing this, right, was, look, each year there's a new judge and there's a new chairman and everything's new and race day is crazy and it's filled with like details. 
And here's one less detail for you to worry about. Don't worry about those camera guys in the truck. They show up every year. They know how to do it. They're pros, seasoned vets. And so Matt and I would just show up and we would always be those camera guys. Um, and one less thing for people to worry about. And you develop a little bit of a skill on like, you know, when to lean into the truck because you're going into the shoot and how to try to hold the image. But, you know, I'm not going to be proud of any of the footage I made. Oh, I yeah. Will. I mean, those those videos were just They're all over crap. They're crap. They're out of crap. And um, yeah, but it was fun. And I think I remember one year. So I guess it must have been like 97. I was supposed to go back. I was living in Chicago and because of bad weather, I wasn't able to get out Thursday night. And so I took the first flight Friday morning. And, and I guess, Chris, you knew that I wasn't going to get to the races on Friday on time. So Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but you went I'm to the to chairperson at the time and you're like, look, I know Matt was coming and he's still coming, but he's not here now. And if you need me to fill in, uh, let me know. And so I got there at some point in the middle of the races on Friday and Chris was uh, doing his thing and it was awesome. And um, Chris, you always had strong ties to Pittsburgh. And so we were able to just go back every year. And like for a while we, we were a fixture and Chris remains a fixture, but I, but I'm no longer a fixture. I mean, it's the best seat in the house, right? It's, it's totally, you'll never get another perspective of it like that. You know, there were always people trying to like run up the hill at Shenley to try to see as much of the entire race of a single buggy as possible, but you, you just can't do it. Actually, in the last couple of years, we started putting university leadership uh, on the lead truck for the finals heats. So like Farnham has been on there a couple of times. Uh, Scott Morey, vice president for advancement, you know, as many deans as I can get up on that truck, as many people in the university who will ever be in a possible position to say anything that affects buggy should ride that truck just to get that perspective on the race. It's, it's remarkable. It's a lot of fun. And you get to have a good relationship with the actual drivers of the trucks as well, because they have to know when to accelerate and slow down. And it's a tricky bit of driving, but once you get it, you get it. Well, there was this, I mean, like everyone's ill-behaved and like we rent <laughs> these trucks. I mean, they used to rent, I don't know, any, I can't speak to anything that happens now, but they used to rent these trucks from local dealerships and the idea was if they let us use these trucks they had they had like their advertisements on a magnet we stick the magnets on the side of the truck so they got like free advertising and they let us use the trucks for the morning and the trucks would get damaged and so some dealerships would like stop letting us do that and the magnets would get stolen (laughs) off the side but um when you needed the driver to speed up because like for example the lead car goes through the chute and and then pauses for a moment and because things slow down because the buggy is not free rolling after it comes around and then there's the hill three pusher who picks it up but then they need to start to accelerate again as the pusher you know gets going and people are like banging on the side of the truck to get her to go faster and so I think that was I think that was like one of the signals was banging because they can't hear us back there we're screaming i sort of developed a belief that the driver just ignores that though the banging like, became yeah i terrible. never i never believed that the banging actually was effectual uh i yeah. just thought it was some way that the judge and the sweepstakes chair could try to influence speed because it's a balance between make sure you can see something because there are curves 
and then the buggy catches up and you don't want it rolling underneath you. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So so they're slowing, 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 and suddenly they really need to go faster so the buggy doesn't hit the truck. And there's and there's a moment in the and the follow truck, we didn't really have to do that as much, but the follow truck doesn't have to slow down the same way. So we go barreling through the chute at 30 miles an hour. And that's when the camera goes from like steady to, and, and people listening won't be able to see, but on Zoom, you know, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> and then you get through the chute and then I, you know, I like I could refocus or whatever. And it turns out and, the part they want to review was right there. Yeah, of course. In that I never Richter five point six event the thing that needed to be seen. And this was um this was an interesting transition because it was one of those years in the late nineties, and I want to say it was like Danny Bernard's year. The like the transitions are tricky because you have a a fixed distance for the three pusher to push off to the four, and then the four pusher to push off to the five pusher. If you go out of that transition zone, then the then that's a, a DQ. And one year, I think it was Spirit A, as far as we could tell from the videos, looked like they came out of the they they did the transition outside of the transition zone. And we watched those videos like over and over and over again. And we were trying to think of every possible way. We were like counting steps and measuring time and thinking how far must she oh, have gone like mm -hmm. that distance for that amount of time. And um, Spirit A got disqualified. And uh, that, was that was huge. And <sighs> Danny, who was the sweepstakes chairperson, her roommate was the Spirit A driver, Abby. And then like they disqualified Spirit A and like by the end of the day, Abby had moved out. She like vacated. And so but they have um, since uh, they have since reunited their bond. Yes, yeah, they're good friends now. <laughs> fine, everything's fine. And then you know, like some point during the day, someone showed up with like their own footage, which which probably showed that it hadn't been a, a disqualification. I can't remember, and I think it was because of that, and probably similar instances where we realized we needed to have transition video as well, mm. and. And so that made a lot of what we filmed in the trucks not as relevant. And now, I mean, now video, it's not even right to say video, but it's everything is being captured digitally. So, right. I mean, what really did us in was CMU TV. Yeah. Yeah. CMU TV <laughs> I mean, got, got cameras that's so like good, multiple spots around the, the course. And you didn't really need follow and lead cameras right. so much, but we're basically like irrelevant. Now. Right. It, it's always one of those things that's interesting to me where I came in 2010. I was a freshman. 2010 would have been my first year with Buggy. And like, there's so <laughs> much infrastructure, but like, not that long before that, you know, it just seemed like so much more of a out thrown together is not the right word, but just like, we have it very nice now in terms of all the angles and being able to do it on uh, WRCT and CMU TV and it feels professional yeah. very oh, those, much before those, that. Yeah. Was, and I mean, I, I don't want to go too amazing. much. It's amazing. You yeah. I, I don't want to go too off topic from filming, but the first thing that the buggy alumni association purchased or rented was the Phoenix timing system, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, and before that it was uh, what's his name with the starter pistol running up the hill. 
uh, yeah. Sanford. And oh they were, man! And there were like six so, people in that finish line truck with stopwatches, and they were doing yeah, averages yeah, yeah. of stopwatches. And... Explain to Will. Do you want to explain to him how it used to work? Yeah, I, you go ahead. I, I just so gave there's the groundwork. There's the there's a guy. He was like this runner dude. Do no, we before him? it was Sanford, right? The admissions officer who was also an NFL referee. He was in charge of the. Yeah, what was it? But the timer dude. Sanford and the runner guy came. controlled the starting line and the runner guy he had this box like strapped around his neck it looked like an ekg machine like it was printing out a tape or something like that <laughs> and he started as soon as the gun was fired and then he would run up the hill and wait at the finish line to be the official like finishing timer and then there were also three like ancillary, like finish line people with stopwatches. But the problem was the distance from the start line and the, to the finish was enough that there was a delay for the sound of the gun. When the gun fired at the starting line, there was a slight delay to the finish line. So the guy who was at the starting line was really probably the best time unless he screwed it up, which happens sometimes. He's like, oh, no, I didn't get that one. <laughs> and then you had to take the average of the like the finishing people or whatever. Yeah, no, it wasn't computer. Yeah, I mean, I think the theme of this episode is that Matt and I came from very analog times. Analog, yeah. <laughs> and I, I imagine and, too, just given how much more cutthroat it was then, there had to be lots of. I mean, you talked about right the the chair and the spirit driver, but things getting very contentious over the imprecise measurement and, and decisions and all of it. Oh yeah, and well, there were the so many more teams too, right? I mean, so we couldn't oh, do, we yeah. couldn't have preliminary ten-minute heat days, you know? Like we were doing like six, seven minutes between heat. Sometimes it got so. Yeah, I think it was even it was even shorter than that. Will like when we when Chris and I were around, it was some of the like the most popular times for buggy, and then I think by the mid '90s they probably maxed out, and then it declined for a really long time, and I don't know where it stands now but we had something like 54 teams on the preliminary day that wanted to roll like organizations were putting out d teams and the weather in pittsburgh was crappy and you know we were rolling as soon as we possibly could and doing like oh, we used to be able to drive the course you remember that heat to heat maybe even less heat to heat because wow. we were just desperate to get in all the races and we knew that the final ones were going to be the fastest and the most competitive. So you had to get them all in because if the if the prelim day didn't finish, then all those times were thrown out. But having said all that, like this dude's Sanford was in charge of the starting line. I don't even know if that was officially in the rule books, but we just he was so imposing, you know, so the three buggies would be lined up at the start and he'd be like, no, like someone would start to like inch their buggy forward. He'd be like, move, move it back. <laughs> and um, there was supposed to be only a certain amount of time that you could keep your buggy at the starting line before the whole clock had to be reset because you needed an opportunity to take the buggy back to the truck and retreat the wheels or whatever. Because if the buggy, as soon as you set the buggy down, it starts cooling and it starts losing you know, like its properties. And so if they sat too long at the starting line, that was technically supposed to be a problem. But basically we said, whatever, whatever Sanford says is that he's the boss. And so, and people were 
generally accepted that. And I don't, I don't recall in the few years that I was doing it, or and then the this, you know few years when we were judging or doing the video. Any, I don't recall disputes over the mm. times. To be honest, I think people understood that that these were the only times that they were going to have, and that the the dude starting line runner dude who ran up and did it, he was utterly unaffi- unaffiliated. He was objective. He was the best that they were going to get. And that failing him the three times were just like CMU staff folks who who also were very unaffiliated and objective and that, you know, there wasn't bias and we were just going to live with whatever times they produced. Um, I think the disputes were more like, you know, whether or not you got a role or, you know, did the disqualification really happen and things like that. But I, I don't re- recall a problem with the times, but no, everything... like Chris said, that, that, that Phoenix timing system is insanely awesome. That solved that. CMU TV solved the problem of, and plus cell phones solved the problem of monitoring nice. the course. Pacers. It a lot easier. They used to be, right. content- people used to say there was a pacer, somebody running alongside the buggy pusher on the sidewalk. And uh, we used to have to check the tape. There's somebody running on the sidewalk alongside the buggy. Bush. Yeah, that happened <laughs> when place. I was, a, when that happened in 91, I remember people were like, boat pacers. <laughs> and um, that was a thing. Tom <laughs> Woods. But then it got, it got weird, right? Because be... sometimes it'd be a little kid. And then you're yeah, like, is, is the little it. kid really a pacer? But is he yeah. doing anything different than the other guy is? I mean, it was... <laughs> yeah, it's bad if the little kid's faster than the pusher. But um, well, he's not pushing a buggy. He's got a chance. Yeah, he's got to tell me there's a chance. But um, Tom Tom hated the pacer rule. He always wanted that to be removed. Yeah, from the rule book. But I guess Saying that was that a thing. You couldn't like have in one. the eighties, right? Well, he just was like, you know, it doesn't matter. Pacers are stupid. No one's using pacers to make their pushers faster. It's only an opportunity for like a footfall. It's not really a big deal. Yeah, he's probably yeah. right. I mean, Tom's pretty much probably right about everything he's ever said. <laughs> Except Probably. that Pike is better than SDC. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Just revealing my own bias. <laughs> no, he's he's utterly biased <laughs> in favor of Pika, but I mean, in terms of like structure of sweepstakes and stuff. For sure. Yeah, I I always thought it was the biggest risk was the pacer running into some poor kid on the sidewalk. When we also will, when we, I mean, God, in the nineties, like the crowds, there was so many crowds that like mm. you had to kind of elbow to even see the course mm-hmm. it was packed in a way that like the, the the participation levels were so high that um you know like hill one the end of hill five all that stuff it was like wall-to-wall people it it, it was really crazy you know the follow trucks once they got to the finish line were honking and honking because they're going to run someone over they need people to get out of the way so the truck could like reposition for the next for the next roll I don't know if it's always been like that subsequently. Yeah. That was always the fun of being in the lead truck. I could hop out at the finish line and, and get a nice eyeball and maybe even a good picture of the hand on the bar as it hit the line. Yeah. 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 That was always a nice yeah. perk. Cause the lead truck, by, once it, once like they transitioned to Hill five, then the lead truck speeds ahead because there's very little more to see mm-hmm. and they zoom up Hill one to get out of the way, the buggies cross the finish line, which is where Chris could be stationed. And then the buggies go to do a, 
brake test and um then the follow truck that's where the mania actually happened right truck has to come back down that was real mania when it was tight heats because matt was the safety chair so he'd have to like be following this thing i'm gonna put the thing down for a second yeah sure you'd have to get i'm listening okay he'd have to follow it up to a truck he'd have to jump in the truck perform a safety he'd have to come back before the next gun i mean that that was the main that was the mania of being in those trucks as a as a judge but luckily as a camera guy i just stood around right was pretty you got great. to just hang out i loved it it's especially then too i imagine there's less kind of a loudspeaker or anything it's just kind of a free-for-all people running around hugging whatever, yeah for sure cheering. and that's when the afio boards up on the hill by the by the gym were uh you know, wooden boards and uh, everybody waited for that number. Yeah, to there was literally up. like, I don't know what you call that, like a clapboard or something like they would take, they would have to take the name of the organization. When someone got a better time, they'd have to take that one out. They take all out and they put the one down and then they'd like find the numbers and put in like three colon zero two. <laughs> yeah. Nothing digital. The drama. Um, one, one thing actually you mentioned a bit ago, I I wanted to follow up on is you talked about that review when spirit was disqualified, how exactly were you reviewing it? I mean, was there like a TV that the judges and sweepstakes would all just go and huddle around and fast forward? Yeah, that was one of those things where they they gave a provisional re-roll, right, Matt? Mm -hmm. And then... And then after the first day was done, including all the re-rolls and provisional re-rolls, they went to room in the UC and uh, rolled a TV yeah, in and there got and a, just took the cameras up to got it. Got a TV and a VCR and sat there until all of the questions were decided. For like two hours. That was a long one. Yeah. You just like watching the tapes, queuing it up, watching the tapes over and over and over. Yeah, that was uncomfortable. I remember that one. Any... To Chris's point earlier, any top 10 finisher needed a safety check. At least I did this. I don't know if they all did, but and then I would sort of do spot safeties because back in the day, it was sort of like it was extremely adversarial that, you know, the organizations pretty much there, you know, they just wanted to make the buggies as fast as possible. And that means as light as possible. Maybe the brakes didn't work. They didn't care. They just needed to roll and, you know, complete the roll. And they had to qualify the buggy under using the configuration that was going to run in on, on race day. So, you know, I needed to go and look and make sure that they actually rolled on race day using a configuration that they Mm. had practiced with. There was like driver and buggy combinations and then buggies could have different configurations. And, you know, we kind of had to keep track of all that stuff. And so I just was trying to, keep them honest. And a lot of the buggies are indistinguishable. If they're all painted black and they're all made from the same mold and the same shape. But once you looked at them sort of underneath or inside, you could tell the difference. And so it was important to check all that stuff. And especially the brakes, like if after they rolled the brake test failed, they got disqualified because they shouldn't have been rolling without brakes. (laughs) <laughs> you know that's like the scariest thing of all but um and we tried to do the like the seeding so that the fastest buggies you know faster buggies will be racing against slower buggies so there'll be good spacing 
mm-hmm. in the shoot and there was a you know there was a meeting i don't know how they do it now but there used to be a meeting like a week before the race where everyone would get in a room and the the, the winning team from the prior year gets the first choice it goes sort of sequentially you get to pick which heat and which lane you want to be in but then the others as those fill in you have to be careful because you you don't want there to be a good race from a safety standpoint you right. you want you them all want to the be two spaced middle out. teams yeah right 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 and and the organizations want there to be competition they for some reason well the smart one like pika never did but you know like some of them were like excited about it but we had our data you know like how fast were these guys going roughly and then pika had their data because they had timers out every single weekend and so if we weren't sure how fast a buggy was going to roll you know you'd be like pika what you know like what's these guys b team going to do and they'd like they consult <laughs> and then they'd be like 320 and then be like okay that's okay that they can take the second lane in that heat you know or something like that they knew how they knew the whole field how everyone was doing they were super always super intense like that always I don't know. I don't know if they do that now. I don't. I don't know if they. Yeah, I don't know. I think the. I think they actually took notes in Klingon as well, so nobody could read. Yeah, it, it was in code. Was Tom coded. Wood made it. Yeah, he said that once to Chris and I because they prepare. They used to prepare information for alums to come back, like all the information about all the heats and who was racing and stuff. And an alum, I guess, dropped it on the sidewalk one time, and and we found one. And um, we're like, Tom, I think this is the, like the Pika cheat sheet or whatever. And he's like, maybe, but you wouldn't, <laughs> so you're like, you wouldn't understand it because it's in code, you know, like. Uh, you got to have like your little orphan Annie ring on. You gotta... <laughs> the, the decoder ring. Decoder ring. Like Tom always gets the last word. So he may not have been telling the truth, but we were like, ooh, it's in code. <laughs> Those guys are crazy. They have it's two one pens. The, one is invisible ink. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where like it all, so many things of like Pika back in the day sounds like kind of ridiculous, but also makes perfect sense. Like, of course those guys were putting secret code on their alumni <laughs> briefings. Why not? They're, they're crazy like that. Um, well, you know, they like, they wanted to win and they were one of the few organizations that institutionally mm-hmm. just had the memory and the, motivation and stuff like that and just they they like every year just bring their bring their a game all year long they wanted to win i don't have they been winning lately because they they have for a while started and like spirit took their title and that was record books matt i mean holy cow sdc is a powerhouse yeah Yeah. no at least a decade team to beat is very much the dynasty right now pika has been somewhat resurgent these past couple years the last real race day we had 2019 was pika was leading on day two they had the fastest time through qualifying and then ended up losing by a fraction of a second um to sdc who kept i think and they ended up breaking pika's streak of most years uh winning in a row at like seven or something like that but it was at least dramatic we haven't had a dramatic race day uh before that in several years so whatever pike was doing was working who knows what's going to happen given 
you know, there might be kind of a half-hearted race day this year, but, you know, really we're going to have a two-year gap, which it's going to be crazy just, you know, what the effect that has on the sport, you know, given how much of it is institutional knowledge and all that. Are they rolling this spring? I I think they just got the okay to roll. I just heard a week or two ago. Yeah. So I don't even know if it's going to be like a race day, race day as much as just like, a full set of rules during carnival um mm. i know they have like an alumni embargo i don't know really exactly the full details um i'm hoping to talk with this year's sweeps chairs in a couple weeks when they like really know what is yeah. going on I mean, that's pretty momentous because i think the only time before covid there was an interruption was for a world war right that's right and so, was that even two years long or just one i'll look it up i think one year no, it looks like 42, 43, 44, 45. No results. But cool. So this is this has been fun stuff. Tom, Tom was right, as always. Um, <laughs> interesting things. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, we didn't when when we were in school, I think we were like weirded out and sort of resentful of alums coming back. But um, and so you know, for a long time we didn't have a great relationship. But um well when we were in school, some of the alums were like historically ill-behaved in a way that made me want to be an alum, right? Like you had those DTD alums with the camper down by Scaife, you know, those guys. But they they weren't specifically like doing buggy stuff. No, they were just at the chute, jumping off the top of their With an RV. Yeah, they bought their RV by (laughs) Scaife or whatever. On Thursday. And then just (laughs) started drinking, you know, (laughs) by the time buggy rolled around. That was a heck of a camper. We used to like take guys on the truck too. Remember that? They'd fall off. Well, yeah, flounder. <laughs> I feel still feel bad about that. I still feel bad about such a fitting. This name. is my this is my apology for the DQing Spirit A because that might have been wrong. And um, I let flounder on the follow truck on one of the final rolls, and uh, he was a Sigma Nu guy, and. Um, there happened to be a spin out in the shoot like those in those years spin outs in the shoot were were pretty common there weren't terrible accidents but this there were spins in the shoot all the time and um so the buggy spins out and the follow truck pulls forward the emt guys run in make sure she's okay and then the and then they get her out and then the follow truck pulls forward and we have to load the buggy into the follow truck to bring it bring it up the hill flounder this was the end of the day and he was hammered and um we had the buggy loaded in the truck and then we were like okay go and the truck moves but flounder was standing so he fell out of the back of the truck and hit his head on the the tailgate or whatever he flipped out of the truck flipped out of the truck he went from standing to like flipping whacking his head on the way down and then so the emt guys we had to call the emt guys back to deal with flounder <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then his blood was know, he's thinned. on the ground he was like madler you bitch and then whoever the chairperson was might have been janice or deb i don't remember but they were like who why is he down here why is he what is that? And i was like i'm so sorry i let him on the truck and then this guy woody the emts were like well he needs to go to the hospital Woody's like i'll take him and um, I mean, like his blood alcohol level was 
definitely. So they go racing down to the hospital and, you know, Flounder was taken care of. And thankfully, yeah, there was no the thing, like getting, hurt. getting people on the truck in our day was a big deal. It was a, who, you know, like that lead truck was no one packed. ever got on the truck back in those days. The fact that I, I should never have let Flounder on the truck, but it seemed like, but I'm know, remembering like, like we when were we were on sweepstakes for the day and like that lead, that lead truck was so full of people and you're like, who are you? Mm-hmm. guy just pointed somebody else and it'd be like right oh, well, somebody but, just got me on but maybe we should clarify probably everyone knows this but like a representative from each organization had to be in the follow truck and they had to have a tool sure. to extract the driver if necessary and so you know like they get on the truck i'd be like you have your tool you have your tool and that was basically supposed to be it you know like a judge the 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 video person and then the people from the organization that was four or five people What's fun is though on that follow truck, then they used to all stand up and lean over the cab of the pickup mm-hmm. truck, and there'd be rope tied around the top, and it would be like a rodeo. They basically, well, yeah, because you had to, you link, had to hold on link to arms, road. and you got to yeah. hold on. If you're in the middle, you got to link arms with the guy on either side of you. And when it would go around the turn, you all go or none of you go. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, now and I think everybody sits like, down. It's way less fun. You had to explain much to, the, to the people like the like the someone who hadn't been on the follow truck before you'd be like better hold on like <laughs> give me your hand or hold on or whatever yeah and you go whipping around the chute and just hold fun. on to a rope like a bronco it wasn't safe yeah i mean it was like <laughs> rope or i guess like the the, tu- the tubing or whatever we tied around the so that the follow truck would lower its passenger side you know the the windows on the sides and we'd loop uh, a rope all the way around so we could hold on to it like a, like a steer in a rodeo <laughs> exactly and then and chris you're saying the the lead truck was just sort of this weird hot tub party whatever well, just when we were students it, it really was packed i mean there was everybody had a friend who wanted to get in there and see this race and all of a sudden there's like 12 people on there and and the judge or the sweepstakes chair at the time it always have to be like all right there's too many of you in this truck who are you get out like there was always like a little, little bit of a filtering of who gets in that truck? Who doesn't get in the truck? Hey, can you get me in that truck? Come on, I gotta, I just gotta get in that truck. It was a big play, and now it's that's much more chill. Now there's that one auction spot, you know. You get the RCT shadow guy or gal. Uh, you got the chair. You get the judge. That's about it. So it's nice and roomy. Although they did install seatbelts uh, whenever they last raced, 2018, 2019. What? Their seatbelts? Yeah, they the, put they put like the, a big plywood. The they put like a big flatbed size piece of plywood down to which seat belts were bolted and then wow. when you basically climbed into the flatbed you were on top of that plywood and you would just hook yeah. a hook a seat belt up while you cruised around yeah, yeah. the funny thing about the follow truck was a, a, a member of each organization had to be in there and like spirit the pika guys there it wasn't the chairperson it would be like the assistant chairperson or someone and and those guys because their buggy was always going to be in the lead never got to see their buggies finish they were always bummed out um it would be like the slowest buggies that we got to see for the entire race or if there was a spin out they would the pika ones would make it through the chute and they rarely spun or whatever and they that person would just run up the hill and then we would deal with whatever the wreckage was in the in the chute yeah 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 I guess the other memory I have of the trucks is when we used to drive them around to dry the course off. Remember that? Oh yeah. They don't do that anymore. For many years, it was greatly debated at the time whether or not this was effective. But I thought the evidence was clear 
you know, if it had been like misty rain, but there's no more rain, but the road surface is wet, uh, everybody with a car, including these two trucks, would just drive endless circles around. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they weren't super safe in how they did it, but the evidence was there. I mean, by the end of an hour of driving around in circles, there the center of the road was dry. Yeah, you'd see the tracks from the from where the cars were. Um, because every organization like on, on free roll mornings needed to have a chaser car. Mm -hmm. And so the safety chairperson would ride, I rode in the chaser car a lot. So that meant on the morning of free rolls, there'd be like 20 cars. And if people really, they really need to get their rolls in. And if it had rained, they'd just start driving around like fast. And um, then the trucks would drive around and that was super fun because, you know, those are so big to have those, you know, like tearing through the chute was pretty great. And it gave people something to do. Like, I, I, I think if all these people had to stand around for two hours, you know, it's not clear what they would have gotten up to. So this, this was in some <laughs> sense, like a good way to keep people occupied. Right. It's funny. I, I, I interviewed Anne last year and she swears there was no effectiveness. To exactly. That's what I mean. Like she would debate this all the time. And I, I thought she was ignoring the science in favor of safety, which you know, I couldn't falter if that's the case because I love Anne. But by the same token, the center of the road was dry. And Fair that's, enough. It's, that's we we, we want all sides of the story here. And, uh, <laughs> shoot the shit. This is this is interesting stuff. I guess maybe it definitely wasn't. It definitely wasn't like safe or anything. But we had permits. The roads were blocked off. No one was gonna. No one was gonna be on the road. Yeah, and, I never argued know, that it was safe. Right. I just said it worked. Yeah, I mean marginally. <laughs> It, it, right, it did. It, it had perfect. an effect. I think it had. To, it had to have done something. I'm sure somewhere in my archives, I have a picture of a dry center of the road with a wet outside of the road after we drove around. Yeah, I mean, roles were really critical back then. There was just so many teams. Yeah. People had to qualify, and mm -hmm. they had to qualify all their buggies with different drivers and different configurations and stuff. And uh, it was a real problem if we couldn't if we couldn't have roles. One thing I was curious about kind of with with the video footage slightly swaying to a different direction. Like now, you know, things are uploaded pretty quickly after blah, blah, blah. Did the footage go to like teams after race day? Was it like a hidden in a vault that just get tossed out? Or like what would happen with the, the fruits of y'all's labor? That's a great question. I think I assumed it just got recycled. No, no. I think people, I think teams did get a hold of it. Maybe not like in a systematic way, but. What, our footage? I think so. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It didn't get, it didn't get tossed. Um, it might've gotten lost, but. Um, Is that why because you always had cash? You always it. had cash. <laughs> they were buying it from, they were buying it from Matt. That's how we got the money. Yeah. That's, I paid for all my textbooks i don't know if the kids know what textbooks are these days but they cost like 150 bucks yeah it was a total racket some and, um, big huge sweaty guy with a gun would give you two dollars for it at the end of the year yeah you could trade it in and i needed that money all right but you know like we told. were screaming in the tape like people would be like who's your daddy who's your daddy you know, like trying to get the pushers because in the follow truck, we were right behind the last pushers. And so these dudes were screaming at their pushers and they're pounding on the cab of the truck, you know, just because they're trying to get them to go faster. 
and all that was recorded i think i'm pretty sure is embarrassing yeah that's true the 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 organization members in the truck were Mm -hmm. quite loud and oh you probably yeah get some interesting nuggets people may not want (laughs) yeah or there'd be like when the you know it was just in the back hills and like nothing really bad was gonna happen you know like we'd have conversations like because i I would have a stopwatch and i have i would have a rough sense of sort of where we were you know what the time was going to be and um you know like if something had happened we'd be like oh there's definite contact there in the in the you know sort of between hill two and three in the free roll section like there was passing that was kind of the value of having the follow truck because the pass is always created problems and it was the obligation of the passing buggy to successfully pass and so if there was any contact they could file a whatever a complaint or a dispute mm-hmm. or whatever and the the buggy that was passed if there had been contact probably would get a re-roll and possibly even the passing buggy would get a re-roll if if it wasn't clear what had happened those were important moments um i guess just from a technical standpoint of like who got re-rolls and things yeah i definitely made mistakes of talking through a shoot you know like oh that sucked that was a horrible Mm -hmm. line and that was now that's on the tape i'm I'm embarrassed that's what i'm embarrassed about that stuff is that's why i was hoping they were all deleted but now that i hear they're out there and made their way to organizations i mean i i don't know if they're still out there but i i think a lot of them i think copies yeah i think copies were made i think organizations were able to watch them because it might have been valuable. It might have been well, some good. That's why I kept getting beat up. You know, like, so you're the guy who said my shoot line sucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, now like neo Nazis get punched in the face, but it used to be Chris. <laughs> <laughs> People would walk up and punch him. That shoot line no is pure. Reason, yeah. That's the best line. <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you definitely had to Who's watch your, your mouth too, because you, you find yourself after so many years of it making judgments like, "Oh, he definitely faulted that guy," or "Yeah, they that passing buggy definitely did not come across." You know, like you would sort of prejudge on the tape. You had to be right. careful of that. I, I was getting into this a little bit with Rachel, and my terminology is sort of screwed up. But when Chris and I were were doing it, mostly it was one in front and two in back. And they were pneumatic tires and the left tire would be outrigged to help it get through the chute. And, and so after the push off, you know, sort of meandering down during the free roll section, mm-hmm. the outrigged tire of the buggy and the lead, you know, like they, they could get, they could get snagged together. And I remember one buggy, like she somehow or other, like her back right wheel got interlocked with another, the leader, the, the buggy, who was ahead her back left wheel and she ended up the driver just like because of that took a hard left turn and went off the course and like down the hill and you know scary stuff happened back there too and so that that was good to have the have the follow tape for i would say in my in my in my view <laughs> your opinion i just remember like the buggy was like and That's just a took a, took a left, went off the course, whatever that pond is <laughs> down by Westinghouse. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. She went into the woods. She was okay. She was fine. Yeah, I feel so, like we've probably, uh, or at least through the corpus of this whole thing, covered most of the really bad wrecks. So I hadn't heard about that. So that's a good thing. Yeah. What are the bad wrecks you've heard about? 
so Rex and or right there was the um what was it 70 whatever with the 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 year that prompted all of the rule change there was 86 was the ATO fire 86 right? that's what it was yeah 86 um was I mean will one? we were kind of like coming off of that so 87 was the first year with new rules mm-hmm. and they were weird a six foot long one inch infinite high mass. steel bar is <laughs> infinitely stiff bar is pressing into the side of the buggy you know like they were trying to capture ways of deciding you know if the buggy was strong enough to withstand these various forces and um people really struggled these were written by tom and lou and ann mm-hmm. and others so like by the early 90s people still didn't really you know they were just trying to do whatever they could do to go faster and it was up to the, the safety chairperson or whoever to kind of to say this isn't safe at all they used to didn't have any requirements but at least after the fire, there was there were rules about the structure that said, you know, like her head had to be behind something structural, mm-hmm. you know, like the structure at least had to be as tall as her body lying there. So the five you know, point like, harness, you know, there was a really rough one I witnessed when I was I was in the shoot. It was during a free roll after the after the shoot. She turned right too early and she nosedived right into a parking pole and her head shot straight up out of the top of the buggy over the wheel, like a Jack in the, like a Jack in the box. It was horrible. Most horrible thing I ever saw because basically she's bent backwards so that her right. head is upright, popped up out of that buggy. That was brutal. And I did see a couple of good ones in the, in the lead truck where wheels would fly off and then, <laughs> and then they would fly basically right across my eye level. Cause I'm up in the truck. So to see wheels like flying in. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then everybody, and then a bunch of Sigma Nu alums dive down. Right. Like, Mark yeah. Will, did people talk to you about like what happened in the shoot after the lead buggy zoom by? So mm. did, did you hear any stories about like tasting rubber and stuff? I don't think so. No. So, oh, yeah. so like before the pneumatics happened, there were just solid rubber tires and they would treat the tires with solvents and heat. You mean before the polyurethane, after pneumatics? No, even before the pneumatics, like the pneumatics were like QL in those buggies in the late 80s had pneumatics. But before then, it was like solid rubber, I think. And we had solid rubber in our days, though. That's yeah, still had solid yeah. rubber. And um, and so the buggy was designed, the wheels were treated such that the buggy would essentially like drift. The ideal thing was the buggy would drift through the chute and then erode through the top layer of the rubber. And then when the rubber got soft again, it would catch and then the buggy, you know, would go the rest of the way through mm-hmm. the chute. And so these buggies would be like, they were spitting off like little shards of rubber, like as they, as they drifted through mm-hmm. like the beginning of the chute before they moved forward. And <laughs> these assholes would run into the chute to gather pieces of the rubber to try to get a sense for what the organization was doing to the to the tires. And then they had to get out of the way for the next buggy and the follow car, you know, so these jerks would be in the chute and be like, get out of the way, you know, like they were honking and honking and trying to get them out of the road. And yeah, they'd be like, mm. they would taste them and figure out what the solvents were and things Benzing. like that. that. And then the pneumatics didn't do that. 
And I don't know, like the Zooter wheels that Fringe first won on, and now I guess SDC. I don't know what they what they use now, but um, I don't I know. I remember one pulled. shot of tape that you took from the follow them. truck, Matt, uh, at the starting line from the follow truck. As soon as the buggy left, a rag soaked in some yeah, chemical compound right. uh, unrolled from the wheel and was laying there in the middle of the road. <laughs> like they mm. left it on the wheel. <laughs> That's what these organizations, like if you told them there's going to be six minutes gun to gun, that affected like their whole process in the truck was sort of counted backwards. They needed to get the buggy on the starting line at the last final second mm before the like five, four, three, and they would stand there, they would come out of the truck, you know, maybe when it was like 10 seconds left and they would get on the line and they would stand there keeping the wheels spinning, you know, so the bearings like the oil and the bearings or whatever are distributed and set the buggy down just before, because when he said like three, two, one, that no one, could be near the buggy except mm -hmm. the pusher and then they had to run away so they put the buggy down and scramble away from the buggy so that they didn't have like a technical default or whatever and so if someone like got a re-roll or something you needed to maintain that whatever that interval was because they they knew their process in the truck was to like okay get it get it out of the chemicals or whatever there's not supposed to be chemicals in the truck nothing flammable there's not supposed to be any like heat sources or things like that but you know you could like heat rocks in the oven of the fraternity in the kitchen and bring them into the truck like hot I just rocks remember when the, i just remember when that dish rag fell off that buggy yeah or, or right you could or like heating elements you could use like electric heating elements and keep the tires wrapped keep those tires wrapped in those maybe I, i'm not exactly sure that we inspected the trucks every morning of the races and that you know they were pristine but i'm not exactly sure what happened during the races chaos but yeah it was like people were they had a program and it was super critical you know to sort of do do everything at the proper time in the proper order and things like that so the buggy would be like optimal and then like you know then so when it got to the shoot it lost a certain amount of rubber which they knew it was going to lose and then and then be able to do the, the back hills and um it was pretty cool. Those were the those are probably the most closely guarded secrets were the wheel treatments. Also, like, you know, organizations who didn't know what they were doing, like if I don't know if like you needed to use some kind of adhesive for the pneumatic around the rims and they didn't glue their tires in properly or something. There was this constant spin outs in the shoot back then. I don't I don't know what happens now. Depends on the team. Spirits Spirits had a, a bad streak of spinning out over the past decade or so. Yeah. yeah. Sigma, Sigma Nu, too. Yeah. So I know we've covered a whole bunch of things. Yeah, um, I don't know how you title this episode, Will. Good that's luck. all right. I, I think, honestly, these are some of my favorites where it's just like... Doo -doo -doo -doo. Two old guys from the 90s. <laughs> I don't know how... Does like, I don't even know if any of this really like relates to what Buggy is now. They all probably use composites for the for the shell i mean they used to have like just the flimsiest crap you could possibly imagine and it was mm -hmm. really really scary you know like kevlar or graphite fibers now like those are just m probably much much safer than the stuff they were doing at the time yeah i mean we're so old graphite fiber was like 
hard to get and expensive and difficult yeah. to work with. And now it's probably just baseline. I actually really like some of these episodes because it is kind of crazy where like, whatever, on a geological scale, it's not that long ago, but just the cultural leaps and jumps. Thanks, Thanks for that, Will. Right. Yeah. But my but sort the of chairperson when Chris and I were doing it was this uh, woman named Alexis and she was loathed. I mean, she was like, what's the word reviled? Chris, mm-hmm. do I have that? What's That's the, I mean, she was just hated. She was notorious. Oh my God. I don't know if Alexis, if you're sweepstakes listening, you. has that, has that tension with the organizations anymore. I think they're all like friends now, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, it was much more of an adversarial relationship by definition, right? Oh like God. our job oh was to, God. our job was to catch them trying to get away with crap. Mm. That was definitely the, the, the spirit. Yeah. yeah. It was really, it was really rough. And she seemed to like relish confrontations. I, I know she didn't, but it, I think they felt like she did. And even if I said something, I was like the good cop always somehow. And I'd be like, you're disqualified. They'd be like, Alexis. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <laughs> one year we went back for buggy. It was some reunion year or whatever. I don't know, Chris, if you remember this, but we were at Sigma Nu and some alum saw Alexis there. <laughs> and this was like this. years later. And he's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, like the hatred for her ran so deep and it just was awful. It was really, really awful. You didn't let anybody get I, away I don't know with anything. Yeah, I don't know if they have that anymore. I don't know. I don't they know. really don't, I feel like inter and like intra in terms of, you know, the different teams and the sweepstakes relationships and, I don't know what you can attribute it to. I think one thing may even just be the fact the sport is smaller. So it's kind of like, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I'm glad that is the case with a smaller field, right? Because it needs to keep a core. Right. I think we probably had the benefit of being able to be confrontational because we had like, you know, 30 teams or I don't know how many, two dozen teams. We had a lot of teams. Well, yeah, around 20, around 20 and they each had multiple entries and, so we could be confrontational because it was that large of a of a field. But right. now, you know, with a smaller number of teams and a smaller number of participants, I mean, I think the cooperation is much more important probably than the yeah. Even last year, I really enjoyed it. One of my favorite episodes I did of this was with all the senior chairs right after, you know, the race day that wasn't. You can tell they're all like super tight and like good pals and like the sweepstakes chairs there and you know, it was this kind of feel good, whatever. And like, just did not feel even when I was first getting into buggy, like you'd have the the spirit chair and the pica chair palling around, you know, and like clearly with this good rapport. Yeah. I uh, feel like, I feel like we had good chairs getting along with each other, just not with sweepstakes. Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, that being was, said, I, I do feel like yeah, there were rivalries for sure, but like, like in a meeting, they all got on a page pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, against us. Yeah. <laughs> or like, remember that. that one time that there was going to be, they wanted to propose that Beta. Yes, I was thinking, I was thinking. Beta, that exactly. Theta Pi was one of the football fraternities and they wanted to propose that Beta Theta Pi would push. Beta, beta Theta Pi, was that would the fraternity? Put, yeah, would push mm-hmm. a Sigma Nu buggy, yeah. which would have like lit on fire. It probably would have beat two minutes because the pushers that they were fielding at Beta were tremendous. And oh, I saw it. Sigma Nu was rolling faster than anything at the time. Yeah, and, so that and, year, that year Beta's like, buggy got wrecked they didn't have a buggy, but they were some of the fastest 
Ront pushers and Sigma Nu always had like some of the best buggies, but they were, you For know, rolling, like, yeah, yeah, low roly poly dudes and they couldn't field a good team. And <laughs> but I remember I, the vote was like 18 to two. It was like everybody hated it. Like they all got on a page except for those two organizations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had, <laughs> you know, a, so vote, like... we had a vote on Thursday morning at the design competition because the night before push practice, I, rem- I remember walking up between like Hunt and Baker or whatever that is. And I just saw like between the two buildings, so we've been in Hill 5, I saw like Something quick went by and I was like, well, it looked like a Sigma new buggy, but that was way, way faster than it should have been going because it because the beta push team was out with the Sigma new buggies and they were like, they were going to set a record. No doubt. And no one vote. And Alexis at design competition Thursday morning was like, well, I don't think it's a safety issue. Uh, so you guys should vote. And they voted it down. And I was like, I was so in favor of it because I thought it was going to be glorious. Yeah, sweepstakes I loved they were it. We just wanted to see the set, record. Yeah, we wanted to see how fast a buggy record. could go. And that would have been it. Yep. And then Sigma Nu had the had like just such excellent buggies back then. Well, they're still rolling them. You can still go out and see them. <laughs> yeah, you can see them now. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I feel like they've been <laughs> with the same buggies for... A long time and they were old when i started calling the races yes they um, were but when they came out they were fire they were so smooth i remember i remember people be like they have to have there's like there's springs in there or something because they just keep rolling it's just... like they accelerate even and they're not being pushed <laughs> yeah they were such good buggies mm. but those dudes just couldn't run really that would have been awesome and got voted down yeah right yeah i know Cool. So I know we've kind of touched on a lot of stuff. I, th- I think it's going to edit down really, really nicely, but want to see, are there any other stories or things? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, a million stories. I guess everyone has a million stories every single year. It was awesome for us. Uh, we loved it. And Chris obviously still loves it. I remember meeting a guy who was an alum from 1971 when I was there. And I was like, what a loser. And and then like I just couldn't shake it for the longest time. Like I, I think I told Rachel this for years after I would start having like buggy stress dreams in the spring because like my body knew it was getting time for rolls. Yeah, it was just a huge part of my undergrad experience, I guess. You know, I think CMU alum and generally are per, in general are pretty intense, but I really don't think there's anything like the buggy alumni. <laughs> just the intensity and the way it sticks with you in a good way. I mean, you, you kind of gotten to it there, Matt, like the thing I always kind of like to close with is just like, if you had like a personal takeaway from buggy or something that you learned, or just like, it's meant to you to kind of direct you forward in life. I always kind of like to end on that heartwarming note. Life lessons from buggy. Yeah. I mean, I know there were a ton of life lessons, life lessons. I, um, I don't know if I actually, internalize them but uh well i'll say sometimes it can be just as much fun to wake up early and stand there with a big cup of coffee than to actually push something up a hill that's a life (laughs) lesson for me yeah i think something that i probably from it if as i think about it i you know and as weird and as quirky and unique as buggy is like as cmu as buggy is like it 
it's a good study in institutional memory, mm. right? To, to know about everybody on an organization is there for four plus years. Let's just say four years on average, right? And if you want to build a dynasty like PICA did or like, uh, oh, I don't know, SDC has, you know, you need to be able to put something together that's going to outlast you. I've definitely, I've definitely been able to observe that outside of CMU after CMU because of Buggy. Um, I think in grad school, I even did a paper on it. You know, it's the notion of institutional knowledge. I mean, it was a life lesson I learned from Buggy. That's what I learned from Buggy, that it is possible to put something together with the foresight of lasting beyond your time. Mm. I concur. Will, do you think that, do you think that Buggy is of as much interest to the CMU community now? I mean, CMU is a, over the past couple like decades become like truly a kind of like a world-class institution. Mm -hmm. Whereas when Chris and I were there, it was a great school, but maybe arguably more regional now. I mean, I don't know. Is it, does it attract the same kind of people who would actually like think buggy was something that they want to do or are there, are they, are the kids there now, their interest is just way beyond with broader yeah. or something than like it, it, buggy right yeah no it's a good question i mean i think and i don't think this is even necessarily unique to buggy i think people's interests are more divided in lots of ways but like the people who are doing buggy at the core it's kind of the same fervor and intensity and dedication to it i wouldn't say it's as big of a portion of campus, but I think that's just because there's more shit all across campus in lots of different ways. So, you know, I can't, I'd say the percentage is probably down and some of the things in terms of like the cutthroatness have diminished, but I think at its core, the people who are doing buggy are still out there, you know, on the weekends going hard, intense, you know, they turn into crazy alumni as soon as they graduate yeah. I am really bummed out spirit didn't get to race last year. Like they had a really, really good chair, probably their last, their best chair in a good while. And I think he really had the whole organization fired up in a way that like maybe from top to bottom had held them back, you know, in prior years. So I really wanted to see what was going to happen with that. And I think that's kind of the case with a lot of those mid-tier organizations where like you talked about organizational knowledge, Chris, it's there to some extent, but I think it's more prone to like one or two really dedicated people pulling it into greatness or out of greatness than, you know, as much consistency year on year. Yeah. I mean, I guess my sense is one or two people would never be enough to do buggy successfully. Like Chris and I had this friend, Joel, Rubano, who uh, was a beta, and he, for some reason, was like insane about buggy. And he was their program. You know, he was sort of like cajole and whatever, and get guys to come out. But mm -hmm. like, but he really did it for a couple of years, and he rebuilt it, and it was it was amazing. But to do everything, you need a you need a real organization. Mm -hmm. I wonder if the structure of it, you know, like there's so much crap work, like you need to send out sweepers and flaggers and stuff like that, which traditionally a fraternity would have the entire freshman class that they could just order around and make them do crappy jobs. And we would see right. these, we'd see these like hungover 
<laughs> passed out flaggers, like passed out at all the intersections, you know, by the end of the morning, because they, they still like that's you know, how they would stop the cars. They would lean against each other like Forrest Gump and Bubba. <laughs> yeah. And then you just and, you just lean flags on them like a big teepee. And then right. the car the cars wouldn't drive over them. And I just don't know, like, <laughs> you know, if such like self-motivated like people these days would really be up for the crap work that's required. My gut is, you know, there is still the core of people like that, but I don't think kind of the militant size there, right? I think it is harder to get flaggers out and stuff like that, especially in the smaller organizations and even, you know, some of the fraternities. Right. That being I mean, said- it's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. It's just a non-academic, amazing non-academic experience that you could have at school. Right. I would say at the end of the day though, it's compelling races. There are new teams coming out. As a bummer last year, I think there were two or three new teams that were meant to debut. And then, mm. so we'll see exactly where, where it goes with that. So, you know, it's not like the sport is in its death throes, but I think there's more clubs, there's more different things to do. You're pulled all these different ways, you know, something with like a very regimented hierarchical structure is probably not as in vogue in 2021 we're still out there and it's, it's a good time. So that's my perspective as someone who never actually did buggy. Um, I was in the booth somehow as a freshman and then never got out of it. So how did you get, how did you get looped into this then? Like what? I was, um, I weirdly had always wanted to do sports broadcasting and on Craigslist saw a thing that said, CMU needed a football broadcaster I was like, what? So I emailed. Did you even go to Carnegie Mellon? I, I did go to CMU. I did. I did. In fact, um, WRCT was kind of in shambles, their sports department. And I was like, oh, this looks fun. And it was really bad when I was starting out. But I essentially started doing the football and the basketball broadcast and the um, buggy. They're like, well, we broadcast this thing called buggy. I was like, all right, I'll try it. And that was kind of in shambles too, where like, the station was butting heads with like Bordic and Estes and the whole term that shall not be named about tacos or whatever. And like tacos, what, what happened? Uh, with tacos? Okay. So apparently the WRCT people would call, you know how they suspend the buggy before they put it down on the, the ground. They would call that floating the taco, which apparently <laughs> was horribly offensive to buggy people at that time. <laughs> and they would do it to like anger the buggy people. And so like buggy was ready Who's to take like an offense to that. I don't know why, but they were ready to like cut WRCT out of the picture. <laughs> so anyways, I entered into just this weird hailstorm, and like Bordick hated me at first. Cause I had no idea what was going on, which is fair. I didn't. Well, the thing is like, there definitely was at least through the nineties, this thing where RCT you know, showed up and did its broadcast and, and they had the announcer and he was like, sounded right. But they, he just, I guess, or she had no idea what he was talking about. Right. So I think like the buggy people would be listening, like what the, what the guy, you know, like I, I can't think of any examples cause I never paid that good attention, but you know, they just had no idea sort of what to be commenting on or what was significant or things like that. So when Bordick and Mark Estes started doing it, that was an amazing, that was an amazing thing because they were giving actual sort of like knowledgeable commentary. Right. <laughs> yeah. The floating taco. 
Wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably do that later tonight. It's um, flo- floating the Taco Tuesday. Yeah, so that's the that part will probably <laughs> that, that's cut the out thing. about like, my life story. Show up, <laughs> they show up on the morning of, not have any idea what's going on, and just like, but have this kind of color, this <laughs> sensibility, and they would just be like, and they're. And RCT would be announcing stuff that was like wrong, you know, like who was going to get a re-roll and who wasn't and what happened and things like that. It was just, it was like, it was utterly just like wrong, but I did floating the taco thing. I probably would have loved that. Did you come up with that, Will? Was that you? No, it was not me. I just remember being like very seriously, adamantly told like, do not say this on air. Bad things are going to happen to you. So I listened and, you know, now I think we've, we've got a pretty good balance of accessible and, and, and for and now I feel like I'm going to say it when I'm there though. Buggy people. That's awesome. Yeah. That so is awesome. I guess it's now acceptable phrase, but anyways, that one year Alexis and I disqualified a Theta Xi buggy and the, and they did the, the chairperson was like, he, he threatened to hire someone to like break our legs or something. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, we we went all over the place. This you got enough stuff. raw tape, that's for sure. Uh, really appreciate y'all spending the evening. And uh... thanks, Will. I always love these stories of sort of how the sport has evolved so quickly, and the way we're able to adapt to technology and whatnot. Hope y'all enjoyed this one too. This is the first of several episodes here for the second season, so. Uh, Make sure to share this around, subscribe. Uh, Thanks, as always, to Buggy Alumni Association, especially Rachel Schmidt, uh, for helping put all these together. We've got a lot more exciting ones coming up for you, so make sure you are subscribed and you will see what they are. Uh, Thanks, as always, for joining in and shooting this shit.